This is the Charter Nation Podcast. You're listening to Charter Nation. This is the Charter Nation Podcast. Produced by the California Charter Schools Association. Happy holidays, Charter Nation. I'm your host, Anna Tentacolis. Thanks for joining us. The mental health and wellness of students is an important topic at any time of the year, but it seems especially poignant during the holiday season. Many families in California are still experiencing hardship as we continue to live through this pandemic, which is why in our next few episodes, we will focus on how charter public schools are working to address the social emotional well-being of their students. In this episode, we'll take you to Larchmont Charter School in Los Angeles and learn about a simple yet powerful social-emotional strategy, getting students to sit in a circle and talk. We'll also preview an upcoming report produced by the California Charter Schools Association called Are the Kids Okay?, which describes the ways in which charters across the Golden State are supporting the mental health and wellness of students. But first, let's begin with this week's Changemakers interview. Changemakers is our regular segment in which Mirna Castrojon, the president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, sits down with personalities from across the ideological spectrum. This week, her guest is Senator Scott Wilk. He's a Republican state senator who represents California's 21st Senate district, spanning the Antelope, Santa Clarita, and Victor Valley regions. At the start of this legislative year, he was elected as Senate Minority Leader. Education is one of his top legislative priorities. He supports giving parents the freedom to select the best educational option for their kids. Myrna Castrojon sat down with Senator Wilk to talk about the statewide enrollment decline and learning loss. Here she is with this week's Changemakers interview. Senator Wilk, thank you so much for being on Changemakers. Myrna, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Senator, you come from a working class family in the Antelope Valley, an area in California's high desert with a lot of really good charter schools, but it's also known for its aerospace industry. Uh, Tell us a little bit about growing up in the Antelope Valley and how that experience informs your work as a public servant when it comes to education. So as you mentioned, so my my father was a mechanic in the aerospace industry, worked for three different companies over the years. And... You know, it was, I mean, at the time you don't, you don't think about it, but it was, you know, it was definitely working class. It was, it was um, multiracial and, you know, going through there's, you know, times when, you know, teachers, you know, touch your life. So for me, my two best friends moved uh, one, the freshman year of high school. And then the second one, the beginning of the sophomore year. And I was kind of drifting and I was at a point where I could have gone either way. And I had a teacher, I only had him for one class, uh, uh, James Bort, but he's, he spoke into my life and really got me in, you know, the right, the right direction. It was really interesting. So uh, about two weeks before I first got elected to the state assembly, uh, my mother would send me clippings and he had passed and it was, it was his obituary. Um, and I, through the power of Google, I found his wife. And I called her and told her what he meant to me and what I was on the verge of doing. And he had a big role to play in that. So yeah, education is incredibly important. And I think teaching is something you can learn. 
but it's also a gift. And he was somebody that was certainly a gifted teacher. This this issue of relationships and that connectivity that that, that students can feel to their learning community is that much more important right now. Pandemic has disrupted everything, but one of the clear ways in which we're seeing impacts right now is in uh, the loss of student enrollment uh, across the state. What do you think is the right sort of policy pathway, you know, governing for the common good here when it comes to dealing with these issues of funding, pressures, and enrollment loss? Yeah, well, in, you know, in terms of the enrollment, so it's, so you kind of laid out the geography of my district, and I would say, you know, Santa Clarita, where I reside, is middle class, upper middle class. The rest of my district is working class. Parents wanted the kids back in school because they can't afford to stay home. So many parents frustrated, you know, trying to do their jobs and educate their kids, and you know, things are different now than when then you know. We all went to school and it's, it's really, really taken its, its toll on parents and on, and on the family. And you're right, there, there's, there's been um, a lot of people I know have left, left the state. In my neighborhood, uh, five houses have gone on the market and, and sold immediately for way too much money. I don't know how we're going to get people into the middle class. And they're, and they're moving out of state. This state is majestic, but we, we got policies now that I don't think benefit uh, the, the the broader community, which I hope we wake up and address, but I'm, I'm not confident of that. It'll certainly be a very interesting legislative session uh, coming back in January, for sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, SB 545, which you authored, which addressed the issue of uh, learning loss. Tell us a little bit about that bill and, and what you see as, as the challenge moving forward. The genesis of that was talking to parents and, and, and talking to students. I remember, you know, this whole COVID thing all melds together, so I, I can't tell you the timeline, but I had a Zoom meeting with the entire Saugus High football team. And at that time, they'd canceled, you know, football last fall, they'd, they'd canceled it. They ended up getting this play this spring, which was great. And I got these young men on the, you know, you know, crying, going, look, we didn't have our junior prom. We're not having our senior prom. We're not playing football. And a number of them, the only way that they're going to go to college is through a college scholarship. And they're not going to be able to show off their athleticism. And then um, everybody's, everybody's struggling. So, I mean, to me, it's like the decision on whether your, your child is performing to his or her capability rests upon the, the student and the parent, not on some bureaucrat. And which is that was the genesis of SB uh, 545. As you know, uh, didn't end up um, moving and kind of incorporated some of those reforms into the Lorena uh, Gonzalez bill, I think it was AB 104, uh, didn't, which is good. It didn't go as far as I would like it to go because I think learning loss is, is real. And I just feel like this is something that we really need. People need to be honest about it and, and admit that it exists. And then let's, what do we need to do to, because we need the money, but we also need, you know, the programs that to make our children more successful. There's a growing recognition that this learning loss issue is is real and it, that it's important. Uh, in fact, the LA Times recently uh, published an analysis showing how severe learning loss is in local districts around the LA metro area, and, and it's widespread as well. It's As you said, it's ap- affecting children, not just academically, but socially and emotionally. You mentioned football teams. Uh, I have a high school son uh, who's who plays in, plays a lot of music. 
music in marching bands. And as I go, you know, to their competitions, I see how decimated the arts programs are as well. And these are the things that build community and keep kids together. And and I certainly hope that you know, as we enter the legislative session, it's not going back to normal because normal was leaving a lot of kids behind. So I had a bill a few years ago that unfortunately got out of the, got out of the Senate, but not out of the Assembly, that was going to offer grants to foster youth to use for to use for activities. And one of the young women I was working with, who was a she was a, aged out of the foster youth program, but now advocates for them. So we're working on, on this together. And she was talking about this would have been great when I was in high school because, you know, I wanted to be in the band. And I said, great. You know, what instrument, you know, did you, did you want to play? And she goes, I don't even know. I just, I just, they had a sense of community and I wanted to feel like I belonged somewhere. So you're right. So, so, so important. I certainly hope that one of the things we've learned is that uh, keeping those relationships strong and creating a strong culture and a sense of belonging is one of the ways in which we build back. So how do we ensure that every child is getting what they need, no matter how that's defined for them from an equity lens? You know, funding's uh, one of it, but you know, the other thing is, you know, educational opportunities. So uh, my wife and S and I, we have two children. One was AP. And uh, our other child was, fortunately, she was the second one. So we noticed early on that there were some issues. And so she started getting services at, at three years of age. And then like at one point, you know, they just said, you know, you, you can't ever expect her to go to college. Well, not only did she go to college, she ended up being a teacher and she was teaching special needs children at her elementary school. So, you know, that's about, you know, the power of parents' love. And, you know, people, in, you know, investing in her life and her doing the work. She works really hard because and she knows she has to to achieve what she wants wants to achieve. And, that was, and, and, and from that experience really is why I'm so passionate about uh, charter schools, because, you know, we have a lot of great teachers in, in, the, in the public system. But it's it, you know, it's a top down one size all one size fits all. And we're all unique. I mean, we're all created by God, you know, diff- you know, equally, but 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 differently in our in our gifting and skill sets. And that's why charter schools are, to me, so awesome. I mean, I've got all kinds of different kinds in my district, and there's some like I would not like. We have a project based learning school, and students do really well there. I would not have done well there. I need. I would as a youth would have needed more structure. And then we have some that, you know, teach, you know, Mandarin and, and Hebrew and all that. And then I, I do have a lot because of the student population, a lot of the, the independent charters, you know, they get one hour, one hour a week with a teacher. And that's more than you're going to get as a regular student in a regular classroom. So, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about it, because we're all different and we need to figure out how we learn best. And then we need to, as policymakers, you know, encourage, encourage that and, fo- and foster that. Thank you so much for your service, Senator. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of uh, Changemakers as we launch our initial season one. I'm honored to be in season one. <laughs> and good luck with uh, the holidays coming up and, of course, the beginning of the next legislative session. I'd like to thank Republican Senator Scott Wilk for being a guest on Changemakers. Senator Wilk represents the Antelope, Santa Clarita, and Victor Valleys. He was elected as California's state minority leader this past year. I'm Mirna Castrejon, president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, and you've been listening to Changemakers. 
You're listening to the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis. To say this pandemic has negatively impacted students is an understatement. Many have lost loved ones. Their parents may have lost their jobs or their hours have been cut back. Families are struggling to make ends meet, and some are experiencing homelessness. One charter public school helping kids feel safe and cared for is Larchmont Charter School in Los Angeles. Now, long before the pandemic hit, Larchmont had been working to support the social and emotional well-being of students by offering a number of programs. One of those programs is called Circleways. It centers on a really simple concept, which is asking students to form a circle and share their thoughts, feelings, ideas, and experiences. Teachers use these talking circles to help kids communicate with one another, and they build bonds that foster learning and connectedness. Now, it's important to note that Circle Ways is not a program created by Larchmont. It's something that's offered at a number of public schools, and the man behind the program is Joe Provisor, co-founder of Circle Ways. He says a talking circle is actually an ancient practice rooted in indigenous cultures. And they go by different names. It's Ho'oponopono in Hawaii. The Lakota say, Oyatemnichia, the circle of great importance. In Zimbabwe, it's called Dare, etc. I caught up with Joe to learn more about Circle Ways. He says when he brings this program to schools, kids are blown away when they're asked to sit, listen, and speak from the heart. Some of them look at you like, what world are you living in? They have no exemplar in the community of adults who actually sit and consider their their responses, listen with compassion. Which is why Joe spends a lot of time training teachers on how to conduct effective talking circles before they introduce the practice to their students. There absolutely has to be buy-in from the staff. The students are not going to do it unless teachers see the value. Amy Heald definitely sees the value. She's the executive director of Larchmont Charter School, which has four campuses in Los Angeles. Like the, the actual act of doing it is, is again, it's, it's very simple and straightforward. But what kids walk away with, what we all walk away with as, as community members, I think is just really um, transformational. She says Circle Ways has been part of the campus culture for years, but this year the program has been critical as students return to in-person instruction almost after two years of distance learning. Amy says teachers dedicate at least one hour every week to a talking circle to build trusting relationships. And I've seen it at all different levels, you know, from TK right up through high school and through with adults. Amy says just rearranging the chairs in a classroom in the form of a circle can change the energy of that space. Other customary practices of a talking circle include placing a small blanket in the center of the circle. That circle is also referred to as a council. Teachers sit alongside their students and pose an open-ended yet thought-provoking question. A talking piece, which is an object that carries some kind of meaning for the class, like a rock or stuffed animal, is passed from student to student. Only the person holding the talking piece can talk. Everyone else is listening and reflecting. 
Amy says these discussions help teachers recommit to the hard work of educating students. Students like Larchmont senior Sally Shapiro. I realize in high school you need it more than ever. She was introduced to talking circles as a sixth grader at Larchmont. Now as a high schooler, she truly values the ability to express herself without feeling judged. Things just get like more divided in high school because you find your group of friends and you like talk to them and you don't really reach out to other people that much. But like you're in council and like you hear people talk about their experiences, their fears and and even if you don't leave council circle as best friends, you'll still like see them and and respect them and I see their side of something. So it really like brings everyone together. And that, Sally says, has helped students deal with conflicts and crisis on campus, like when the coronavirus started to spread rapidly in their communities. And so we like got in a circle and we were like, let's talk about COVID, like what's going to happen, you know. We just talked about our feelings and our fears. Sometimes it just happens like when you need it spontaneously, you know. Sally says what makes it work is the teachers who stand behind the practice. Sarah Love teaches transitional kindergarten at Larchmont, which means her classroom is filled with four and five-year-old kids. Sarah says despite what you might think, getting little ones to sit in a circle and talk is not a hard thing to do. They still have stories to tell. And oh my gosh, they love telling stories. And that is, I've, I've just been blown away. She says as soon as she places the blanket at the center of circle, her kids instantly begin to calm down and huddle together. That is a storytelling time for us. And the way I describe it with my kids um, is that it's, it's a time for us to share stories in a special way. In high school, the approach may be a bit different and more spontaneous, but theater and film teacher Sean Claytius says talking circles have the same impact. Sean trains other teachers at Larchmont using the Circle Ways curriculum. He says the hardest part for teachers at first is giving up control. And if that means that we are sitting in eight minutes of silence because no one wants to speak up, that is okay. Because Sean says reflecting, processing, and being still are just as important as sharing and listening. TK teacher Sarah Love says even if there are some awkward moments, at the end of the day, all kids appreciate having the space and opportunity to speak their truth. I think young children often are not really listened to or asked, you know, what do you know and what do you care about and what do you believe? And um, counsel right away from week one, you know, is you belong here, you have a voice, you have a story to tell, and we're all going to listen and we're going to care about what you have to say. I'd like to thank Larchmont Charter School for helping me share this story. If you're interested in learning more about the Circleways program, visit its website, circleways.org. And if you'd like to learn more about Larchmont Charter School in Los Angeles, its website is larchmontcharter.org. This is the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis. 
You just heard one school's approach to offering social and emotional support to its students, but what about all the other charter public schools in California? Well, the California Charter Schools Association will be releasing its annual Portrait of the Movement report this month, which focuses on that very subject. It's called Are the Kids Okay? How California Charter Public Schools Support Social-Emotional Well-Being School-Wide. The study outlines how charters are using their COVID relief dollars to help students manage stress, anxiety, and depression. It also outlines best practices, including staying positive and celebrating wins. Vibrant Minds Charter School in Anaheim is one of four charters profiled in the report. Assistant Director Shamara Nguyen says staying positive may seem like a no-brainer, but it takes hard work and a commitment to focus on growth. When you're in the thick of it every single day, sometimes it's hard to see all the things that are going right because it still feels hard. Um, and it is hard, but I think that, you know, I try to remind myself and I try to remind our teachers too, that all of our kids have gone through this. So our kids are right where they need to be right now. And we're just going to work on helping them grow from here. The California Charter Schools Association's report, Are the Kids Okay?, will be released on Thursday, December 9th. So mark your calendars because CCSA will also host a Facebook Live event on that day beginning at 4 p.m. President and CEO Mirna Castrojon will go over the report's findings and conduct a changemakers interview with two charter school leaders featured in the report. So don't miss it. And you can download the report on the 9th by going to our website, ccsa.org. And that's a wrap for this episode of Charter Nation. If you'd like to listen to past episodes of the Charter Nation podcast, head to ccsa.org slash charter nation. That's where you can find other great charter school stories from across the Golden State. I'm Anna Tintopoulos, host of Charter Nation. As always, thanks for tuning in.